Hi, everybody. My name's Asa Livingston. I've worked on shows like American Idol and Dancing with the Stars, and you're listening to Kyle on the Isle. And welcome to Kyle on the Isle. I'm Kyle Olson. Our guest today is Asa Livingston. If you've ever watched a flawlessly executed episode of Dancing with the Stars or felt the palpable tension on American Idol, then you've witnessed Asa's magic in action. As a top-tier production supervisor, Asa is the unsung hero, ensuring that these mammoth shows go off without a hitch, mastering the art of seamless production. From her early days, Asa's love for television was evident, and she's channeled that passion into orchestrating some of television's most iconic moments. So get excited as we pull back the veil on the dynamo that is Asa Livingston. And action! Asa Livingston, welcome to Kyle on the Isle. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. We're so happy to have you. There is so much to talk about when it comes to your resume. You've worked on shows like American Idol, Dancing with the Stars, Kids Say the Darndest Things, the Miss Universe pageants, and so many more things. And I can't wait to dive into all of it. But like everybody that we have on the show, I love to start off by kind of getting a little bit of a table setting, so to speak and talking kind of about origin stories and how your Hollywood career came to be. So walk us through a little bit of when you were younger, how did your interest in the industry first kind of come to be? So at a young age, I wanted to be one of two things, an architect or a director. I wanted to oh. be like Steven Spielberg, yes. <laughs> so much so that for Christmas one year, my parents bought me, there was a Lego Steven Spielberg set. I don't know. The if camera. You... Yes. Yes, I and had it had too. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> yes. So they bought yes. me that and I made my first movie. And okay. well, you know, movie made my first movie. It was like right. a scene for a movie and I thought it With was With like a, a shitty 2.3 megapixel webcam surrounded by Legos. Yes. I had that. I Oh my God, what a memory that is. Oh, it's such a good one. So that, for the longest, sealed the deal. I still went back and forth between kind of architecture because I love math. And so that and uh -huh. directing were kind of my two focuses. Um, love TV. I, I could not, as a kid, get enough of TV. I would wake up early to watch cartoons before school. I knew what was at what time on what channel and what the channel number was when that was a thing. So I always wanted to do scripted, which we'll get into later. I do not do. But I always wanted to get into scripted movies or television shows, the dramas, the action. I loved all of it. Right. Um, so that's where it started. Okay. And what were the gotcha shows that, like, when you were watching TV at this young age or movies at a young age, what were the ones that were like, oh, my gosh, this is what I want to do. Like, these are the dreams. These are the things that are really motivating me. So at a young, young age, you know, around that Steven Spielberg time, I mean, you know, I was watching cartoons 
Aladdin was a big movie. Gargoyles was a favorite. Darkwing Duck. Pete and Pete. Are you afraid oh, of the sure. dark? You know, all those kind of shows. I just... Goosebumps. Goosebumps, yes. goosebumps, goosebumps. I just couldn't get enough. I also loved black and white movies or TV shows. So like, I love Lucy. I Dream a Genie. Those kind of shows, you know. My sister and I would play Monopoly and watch Nick at Night. And then as you got older, how did this continue to kind of progress into... I think I'm actually serious about making this, you know, a real career choice. That did not happen until very late, actually. Okay. I just, it was always a hobby. I would make short films, like I had the little Nikons or whatever, but it, it was never for me until college a reality as like a career. It just didn't click. Even my mom, she was in marketing, making commercials. It still never seemed like a viable option for a career. So okay. I actually started college with a focus in accounting. Again, oh, back to interesting. the math. Toward the end of my sophomore year, I'd started working for my dad's company and helping with small things with his accountant and stuff and realized that is not at all what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Right. And without telling anyone, went to my counselor, met with her and asked if our school, I went to the University of Kentucky, asked if our school okay. had any sort of TV, film, production, telecommunications program, which they did. Not a big one at the time. And I switched over. There wasn't a, as much thought as maybe I should have put into it. <laughs> I mean, it worked out. Yeah, you know, spoiler. It, all, it all worked out. Yeah, I'm yeah, still, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. It worked She's out. She's still but... working in the industry. The decisions that were made were good ones, all that. But at the time, it was a leap of faith to an extent. It was. It was being young and feeling impenetrable. And I was like, I could do this. I lived in Kentucky, had no real connections, but just was like, this just seems much more manageable and much more my pace. Bit of a shock to the parents, but then not. What was going through your head at the time when you, you're in college and like you're doing the accounting thing, but there's something pulling you to the arts and the TV film thing? What was going through your head at that time? Well, sitting in the accounting classes and like talking to people and just sitting at an office at a desk, it didn't sound <laughs> fun to me. I didn't <laughs> want the clock in, clock out of it, which is wonderful for a lot of people. You sure, know, it totally. gives them structure. And gives right. them set times to do what's work and what's out of work, and which is not the case for us. But I, on the side, was writing spec scripts and stuff on my own that I never thought anyone would see. And right. I just loved it so much, just kind of creating these worlds that were kind of just for me, but in the format of scripts for TVs, movies. And it's something I'd always done. I kind of thought, well, I'll just give it a shot. You don't have to live in LA to write scripts. It obviously sure. helps. Right. So that was kind of my thought was I would go into writing, not necessarily directing, even though that had kind of been what I'd always been interested in. And that was kind of my focus when I was like, you know, let's give this a try. Let's switch over to telecommunications and try to focus on script writing. And see what happens. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I could not agree more with the I'm not a kind of guy that likes a nine to five clock in clock out. One of the first gigs I ever worked on was America's Next Top Model, and there was a really senior camera operator that worked on Top Model that has been in the industry for decades, right? And he said something when I was on Top Model that's like always stuck with me, and he said, I did not get into this industry to have the same parking space every day. That is like the least appealing thing ever to me. And when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, I feel so seen right now. Like, that's exactly <laughs> it, right? Like, I do yes. not want the same parking space every day. I do not want to be the same place for 40 years. And for some people, they yeah. love that. And that totally makes sense. And if yes. you're trying to focus more on families and being near families and friends and all that, like, there's plenty of pros yes. for that for those people. But that's just not me. 
right? Like I just want something different and something that's outside of the norm. And at some points that makes us seem crazy because to an extent we are. Uh, A little bit. We all have to be a little (laughs) off our rocker to do what we do. To want to do what we do and continue doing what we do. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. So interesting. So you make that kind of leap of faith kind of midway into schooling you graduate from college and then what happens? Do you make the leap to California? So I actually right place, right time kind of story toward the end of my junior year of college. I ended up going out to one of my close friend's birthdays. So I met up with her, ran into my dad's closest friend, his best friend, who happened to be showing around a TV producer at the Mm. same place that night. He had taken him out for drinks and get to talking. I didn't know he was a producer at the time. And he asked what I was going to school for. And I tell him, oh, I'm going to try to write scripts or produce or just something in the entertainment industry. I'd love to work in scripted or, you know, film. And he hands me his business card. He's a producer in LA and has lived there for decades. And so we start talking and end up going to dinner the next night. All of us and my dad joined us. They knew each other and ended up he was scouting in Lexington, Kentucky, just slightly outside at the time to do a reality show. It was called Logheads. It was about this couple that built all these beautiful furniture pieces for the cabins out in like Gatlinburg and stuff. And so he ended up offering me a part-time internship after my junior year in LA. Okay. Yep. So he ended up sending my resume to a few other people he knew in LA and his management company, a man named John Farader, who unfortunately is no longer with us, but he was a wonderful person to work Mm -hmm. for as one of my first jobs out in LA. He worked for Octagon Entertainment, and I got to come out after my junior year and intern out in L.A. So that was my actual first experience in L.A. Very cool. And after I was only out here for two months, I was so broke, I couldn't do anything. Living on donuts (laughs) and spaghetti and hot dogs, right? Like, donut holes, you can get 10 for like a dollar at some of the places. (laughs) Lived on it. (laughs) Yeah, okay. It was hard going back to Kentucky for my senior year after being out here for only two months and kind of having this eye-opening experience I then very quickly knew I needed to find a way back. Luckily, in my internship with John Ferreter, I met Arsenio Hall, who had been flying in every week to discuss the reboot of his talk show. Right. Lucky for me, I ended up talking to Arsenio as he'd come in. We became friends. We would joke while he would wait for John and while he was in meetings and stuff. End of my internship, fast forward, I asked Arsenio for a PA job. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. (laughs) It took the whole summer of like talking to him and like building. Pepping yourself up for this. Yeah. Yes. And I finally just kind of, I think I didn't shout it at him, but it couldn't have made much sense. I kind of just like did it. And he gave me a look and he laughed and he was like, absolutely. Like talk to John. Yeah. Six months into my senior year, I got a deal memo. My first deal memo as a PA on the Arsenio Hall show. And I went out there in 2013, a month after I graduated, I packed a U-Haul and drove to LA. And committed to the bit. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. I did not know that actually. That's very interesting. So really when it comes to like first real gig in Hollywood, you did the internship, but that was an internship. So like your first paid gig on the payroll with the deal memo is Arsenio Hall. And this is as a PA. So you're learning about the industry through the eyes of a reboot, not just any show, but a reboot of what was back in the day, arguably one of the most successful talk shows of all time. So what's that experience like? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, 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 <laughs> woo, 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 yeah. <laughs> so what, what is that experience like going into a show that 
presumably you watched a little bit as a kid or at least knew something about, and that's your first actual gig in the industry. Yeah, it was a bit surreal. Just the level of talent that they were able to get on the show and that being my first introduction into talent, Hollywood, you know, working on a studio lot, working with these big names. They got back a couple of the producers, the talent booker from the original show. Some of the camera guys were the same. Mm -hmm. It was an incredible experience to work with both new crew and staff and such educated wise people who had already done this show and decades of other shows similar it was kind of the best of both worlds mm -hmm. the people that came on that show unless i work on another talk show similar you know i just right. don't know that i'll ever meet the level of talent i mean i met sir anthony hopkins i was in a, a small oh. dressing room oh. and just this wonderful quiet kind man and i'm 22 just yeah. looking at him and my heart is i'm hoping no one can hear it or see it <laughs> and for that to be my first job you know i just could not have asked for a better education experience yeah. i think we ended up going nine months yeah before it ended and it just i don't think i could have had a better first experience or first show or first group of people i worked with or host yeah or talent you know that's incredible and it's funny because you talk about how like you get to meet amazing people like Sir Anthony Hopkins. But one of the things that's always been exciting for me, and I imagine you're the same, but like we watched shows when we were kids mm -hmm. and then we've both been lucky enough to work on those shows now that we're in the industry as adults. Yes. And it's something that continues to this day. And I don't think it'll ever go away. It always blows my mind. Like I watched dancing with the stars as a kid with my parents every Tuesday night on ABC. And then I remember when I got the phone call to be on Dancing with the Stars as a member of the crew, and I was very excited to be around talent, but I was probably more excited to be around the behind-the-scenes crew yes. that had brought a show that I love so much to life, right? So it sounds like in many similar facets that your experience on Arsenio was the same. There's lots to love about you know, the guests that are coming in and Arsenio, but it's also these are the people that made your childhood that you are now getting to work with. You're learning from the best of the best to start your own career in the industry. Yes. I mean, you said it perfectly. I couldn't say it better. For me, the talent is like the cherry and the sprinkles on top. Right. But the crew and the staff and the producers and everyone behind the scenes for me is the Sunday. Like that is what I'm there for. Mm. And the talent is just the fun little surprise at the end, you know, right. I would do it without them as much as I love to hear what they're saying. Sure. I would make the TV with no one in front of the cameras and then American Idol. Mm. I remember as a kid, my family could not get enough of American Idol. And then now fast forward working on American Idol, I think I'm going into my sixth season with them. Yeah. And it still kind of blows my mind when I'm just like, oh, yeah, Idol. Blah. And I'm like, oh, I'm referring to American Idol as Idol. Like, <laughs> you know what I do with dancing? I say dancing and I'm like, oh, dancing with the stuff. Like, you say it so casually now, but it's still kind of something that kind of blows your mind a little bit, right? It's very exciting. The little yeah. kid in me is like, good job, girl. Good yeah, job. you did it. You made it, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I totally get that. 
So let's talk a little bit about that. So obviously, as I alluded earlier, you've worked on shows like Idol, Dance with the Stars, mm-hmm. some of these huge shows on ABC that are notorious for being live shows, obviously massive competition shows, big celebrity star power, the whole nine, right? So with these shows, what ultimately got you into this? How did you first end up in this world of kind of specializing in the unscripted live world? Okay, yeah, of course. I will quickly circle back to Arsenio Hall. So that kind of got me into the unscripted world, Mm, mm -hmm. that small world. It is much smaller than you think. They were not live. They were obviously pre-taped, edited, filmed as close to a live show as you could while still having editors taking things out, cleaning things up and putting it on air that night. So that got me started in the unscripted realm. I did a lot of pre-taped shows prior to starting live shows. I think American Idol was my first big live show that I actually did. I worked on, I think for almost two and a half, three years, I worked with Fox almost entirely just on a bunch of pre-taped shows. A lot of season one shows trying to see what worked, seeing what didn't work, music competition, cooking competition. You know, I did a lot of those those shows first that got me to where I'm at now with Dancing with the Stars and American Idol, which are both live. I currently am a tape AD and a production supervisor. But uh, I started as a script PA, and that's kind of how I fell into where I'm at now, which is on the path to directing. I'm a couple steps away, but I'm getting there. You're getting there. You're climbing the ladder as we speak. Trying. (laughs) Um, So you start as a script PA. You're mainly just making copies of things that other people make. You're distroing them to directors, producers, cameramen whomever needs the information you're making sure it's everywhere and that everyone has it as you're doing that you build up you become a script coordinator which gives you a little more responsibility now you're making face sheets if there are notes that need to be taken during something you're typing those up or you're making those notes and then you move up to a script supervisor which is the script second so that's what i primarily did throughout all my pre-taped show years mm-hmm. that's when you work with your script team. You work with the script first who builds a document. It's called a rundown. And then you build a script from that. So that means any elements they have in this shorter version of a script without the actual words in it, you put into your thing. And then a writer, you work very closely with the writer and they give you a script that you fill in. So my job is kind of this middleman between various departments, getting different documents and merging them all into one readable document that everyone on the show can look at and understand what the host is saying, what's being seen on screen while he's saying it or she is saying it, what the director is calling, what music cue is being played. It ties it all together in a way that someone could look at that document and know exactly what they're going to see and hear. Right. What I think a lot of people often fail to realize is, especially with live, there are so many things that are happening at any one given second, and it has to be to the T. Right. Like you are counting literal seconds. You have to predict when you're going live. This should take five seconds. This should take two minutes, whatever that is. Right. And so these documents that you're creating are essentially scripting to the best you can what would likely happen when you're live. Right. Knowing that there is a little bit of there's live. We're doing the best we can. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So what you said is actually what I do now as a script first. So as a production supervisor, tape AD, my whole job, along with the associate director, the first AD on a show, is to make sure we get off air to the second that we need to get off air. So if that is 
5.59, right, p.m., 54 right. seconds. Right. Say Ryan Seacrest is still talking and he's in the middle of good night and it's 55. <laughs> all you're going to hear is good. They will and cut you gone. off. Right. And he's off air and you're seeing logos. So right. my whole job now as a production super, or not my whole job, but a big part of my job is to give estimates to every element of the show and say, I think the opening you know, performance and dancing with the stars is going to take a minute and 28 seconds with six seconds of applause. And then the intro with the host is going to take a minute and 15 seconds, you know, with maybe five seconds pad to move into the cold open or the, the titles or, you sure. know, so that's what I do now. And then as the live show is going me and a back timer, that's their entire job is to, as every item is going yep. time it, make sure we are to time and then I'm cutting things with an executive producer or a, pro a different producer or a director and cutting items or adding items or asking a writer to add language. We need more time. We need to fill more time. Right. Add more bullets. You know, that's what I'm now doing during a live show as the main focus for me. Yeah, it's so specific and detailed. And I had no idea coming to Hollywood at 22 or however old, you know. <laughs> I just right. thought it'd be lights and cameras and magic and TV. There is a bit of that. Like you have to kind of like demystify what is in your brain as this job and then what is reality, right? It's <laughs> yeah. like, and there's a lot more to the reality of it than we yes. ever think, especially growing up and even in college. Like you don't really understand it until you get out and actually do the thing and see people doing the thing, right? There should be a course for people moving to Hollywood and it's like, <laughs> welcome to Hollywood and it's all glamour and then it goes away and it's like, this is what it really is. Dun, dun, dun. And then it goes into detail. And then you're like, do I want to devote my life? And then you go, right. of course I want to devote my life to this, you know, but there should be some kind of like masterclass just introducing <laughs> you to the real side of the industry. Yeah. The side that you don't learn about when you're in school and all that. Yes. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. So tell me you finish Arsenio Hall. It's this dream show. How does that ultimately transition into your working on another dream show of yours, which is American Idol? Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, Arsenio Hall is a pre-tape show, whereas American Idol is primarily a live show. The part I work on are the live shows. They're both unscripted worlds, so the transition wasn't terribly hard to make, but I didn't just jump directly into live TV from Arsenio. I had years sure. of pre-taped shows with Fox, other ABC shows, you know, various things. But that really gave me time and understanding of what the shows were, what the timing, how important it was, the different elements that go into shows. I needed that time in pre-recorded shows where we could stop down, pick it back up, all of that to further educate myself and have a better understanding before moving into live shows. So I luckily had that time, that pad, that support prior to moving to American Idol. And then I got the job and it was my first really big live show where I had important things that mattered and could affect what was on air and getting off air. <laughs> so, you know, very grateful that I did have the time. That's actually a really good point that you bring up here is that there comes a point in everybody's career where you go from what I'm doing doesn't really matter. Like, and then all of a sudden you're like in a room doing this, counting off air. Just like literally wiping sweat off your brow, mm -hmm. counting down the seconds and hoping that it works. Yes. There's a big difference, right? Yeah. But like that's a daunting step when you take that step. Oh, I was so afraid. I mean, I called everyone I knew that had done live shows and asked for their advice and what to do, what not to do, what to do if this. I mean, 
my friends could tell you. Really? Oh, yeah. I called so many people. I want to know more about this. What did they say? What did they tell you? They were kind of like, you just got to jump in and hope for the best and hope someone's there supporting you if you really don't do a great job. They're like, hopefully someone else is behind you paying attention to what you're doing or is doing a similar job where they could pick up the ball if you drop it. You know, I think the biggest advice I got from multiple people is trusting yourself. Yes. Don't second guess yourself. If you feel that's the right move, you make it and let someone else tell you it's not. But the more you kind of like juggle, should I, shouldn't I? It's a live show. The time has passed. It's now moved on. And now you've got to figure out something else. And now maybe the snowball's gotten bigger because of that. Right. So I'd say the best advice I got was kind of just trusting your judgment. You're there because you're good at what you do and that Mm. people trust you to be in that seat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's solid advice. That's (laughs) trusting yourself and knowing that you're there for a reason, right? Like I'm fond of saying this on set too, that like, we're all here because somebody vouched for us somewhere. Somebody saw yeah. our work. Somebody heard about our ethic. And that's why we're here. And so the reason that this crazy works the way it does is because we all know at least a little bit about what we're Somewhat, doing, yeah. right? Yeah. Or we act like we know and or- <laughs> we make it up as we go. But normally that comes out at some point. So yeah, right. most of us are pretty good at what we do. Yeah. For us all to be here doing it. You right. Know? I agree. Now, so you talk about this masterclass and that you wish that there, there was a masterclass, but like for a minute here, humor me on the idea of like, when you go about your job now, as you're looking at this, how do you go about this? How do you work out these timings? How do you do this? Is this trial and error? Is this a lot of just really good rehearsing or maybe even bad rehearsing to get to a good production. What is the secret sauce to what you do now and how you go about it? I will circle back to just saying the people around you Mm. is the most helpful because Mm. on a show like Dancing with the Stars or American Idol, which have both been on for so long. Decades now. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the people who work on that have been there either for their entire career or majority of it, or still much longer than my five and six years that I've been on them. So just trusting the people around and being open enough and vulnerable enough to ask questions that I don't know. I obviously always try to watch old episodes or if I really can't figure something out, reaching out to people. But generally I just, I I do my best. If a schedule needs to be made, I ask the initial questions that I can think of. I build it as best I can. And then I slowly start reaching out to the various departments, see if it works for them. Oh, it does. Great. Let's check audio. Oh, audio works for you. Cameras. Great. Oh, it doesn't work for productions. We're past six hours and now we're going to go into mail penalty. Okay. Let's see where we can either move something smaller to fit. You know, it's all a big puzzle, which I really in- enjoy that aspect of what I do. Yeah. But it's all trial and error. There's no real set way to do something. It changes every year. Even if you found the perfect way to do something. Mm-hmm something creative changes next season or you have extra talent or you have less contestants, you know, it, it never is the same. So you're constantly reworking it and it is a lot of trial and error. Yeah. Audiences, I think sometimes maybe don't understand that technical part of it as much, right? Where you're watching American Idol for six seasons and to us at home, it's, Oh yeah, it's American Idol. There's contestants, blah, 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 blah. But Every season, there are enough variables that change, whether it's just the contestants, how many contestants, the songs they're singing, what's Mm. happening in the world, COVID, et cetera. COVID? Uh, (laughs) Right? Like, these are all different variables that 
we often don't even think about. But when it comes to basically your job and the job of many people surrounding you, these are the big things. This is the reason you have a job, ultimately, right? Like, this is yeah. exactly what you're there to do, is to work through these variables that yes. season after season, show after show, are going to change without question, yes. without fail. Yes. Getting comfortable in what we do is not an option. You might be comfortable <laughs> that you you overall know your duties and that you overall know how to format something properly or give a correct answer that you think will be suitable, you know, but we really are all kind of flying by the seat of our pants. I, mm. I don't think anyone is completely comfortable. And I think that's also like going back to it, we're all a little off our rocks, you know, but not totally. That's why I we're doing this, right? That's why we do. We enjoy it. I love live TV. I love the adrenaline of, oh my gosh, we're six minutes over and we have 10 minutes left in the show before we're off air. Where do we go? I thrive on it. I love it so much. I could not be an accountant, Kyle. <laughs> like I could not be sitting at my desk by myself doing the same thing over and over. I don't think I would do a very good job. I know at one point when I was a script second, I got very comfortable Mm. And I started making mistakes. Mm. And that's when I told myself, okay, it's time to start trying to move up because yep. you've gotten comfortable and you've gotten careless because you're like, I could do this in my sleep. And I just yeah. got too comfortable. So yeah, that's that for me was a big red flag of being like, okay, you need to start challenging yourself again. It's time to move up. It's scary, but... But you got to do it, right? Time to fly. You got to do it. Yeah. Right. You talk about how much you love live TV. I do. What is it? about the live TV that gets you so excited? Short answer, and this is going to be so corny. It's just the magic of live TV. You never know what is actually going to happen. Like, we've yes. had fans who we've literally, in a commercial break, a minute before we come back from here, put on stage and let them read Prompter with Ryan and, like, that is not accounted for. That is not something we had any plans of doing whatsoever. And mm -hmm. it makes great television. And if you're like, you just have to go with it. And right. you might, I panicked when I was told we were doing it. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and we did it. And it was such a beautiful moment. And, uh, you know, yeah. I think people at home really loved it, connected with it, saw that we saw this super fan. You know, he comes to every taping, every, he travels to the cities. And it was such a wonderful moment for live TV. Yeah. And I just, it's those moments plus the adrenaline of figuring out what to do when things go wrong. And, and I think the combination of it keeps me on my toes. It keeps me excited. It keeps me looking forward because every episode is new, even though it's the same, it's new. Right. You know, I think there's a lot to be said for the adrenaline thing that you're talking yes. about, too. Right. Like, I think that's what I like most about live TV is that there is just a huge shot of adrenaline yes. that comes about 20 minutes before you go live that stays with you as a huge high until you get off the air. Oh. And when you hit it, and let's be real, 99% of the time we hit it, right? We knock it out the park. And when you do, the the high you get after the show is arguably higher than what you were on oh. that adrenaline rush during Absolutely. the show. Right? Absolutely. I will say an example of that was I did the Ryder Cup in Chaska, Minnesota. And I I'm going to say the year wrong. I want to say it was like 2016, 2018. Okay. 
But I did the Ryder Cup, and it was a wonderful experience. And we did a live flyover. We had an Air Mm. Force pilot in our control room with us, with our phone talking to the guy flying. And once he got to a certain place, if we were ready, he'd have to circle. And so I was sitting there back-timing. I was essentially aiding for my director, EP, I was working with, back-timing. And the U.S. captain and the European captain both read so much slower than they had read in rehearsals the day before. I mean, after every sentence, they waited for applause. And I am panicking. My director is panicking. The pilot is, you can see him sweating through his jumpsuit, the poor guy. And so I'm back timing. I'm back timing. And I'm telling the director and him both updated times as we're going. And this goes on for 12, 15 minutes. I mean... And when we hit that flyover right in the perfect timing of the stars being, I mean, I'm crying. The guy behind me with the phone talking to the pilot starts tearing up and we hug. (laughs) And then we realize we're still in the show. So I have to get back in the chair. But it just. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Take two seconds to celebrate. And then we got a show to keep doing. And then I'm like, okay, we're not done yet. That was just the beginning. Like, but just the, the the emotion that overcomes you so quickly and unexpectedly because you. You know, everything went wrong. We, No one would have noticed if we didn't hit it on the three words we really wanted to hit the flyover on. But right. the fact that we were able to come together and do it, and it just, you know, I, I don't think I'll ever forget that experience and the, the yeah. feeling of us all accomplishing that. Yeah. Oh, God, I got goosebumps and I wasn't even there. Goodness. And like, But but I know what that's like, right? We, we, everybody has those moments that you remember. And, yeah. And it's also like... A bit of why this industry is addictive, right? Yes, because it, it, we it do this. Right, it's a drug, right? We go in and out, and we do this time and time again. And the reason we do it is because there are moments like what you just described. Yeah, I mean, I rode that high for probably a couple of weeks, and that was, you know, mid career for me, five six years into it, and that feeling just was unbeatable. I had never in my entire life felt something so that felt so accomplished. Like I felt yeah. this was it. This was the pinnacle. I like cannot beat this feeling. But yeah, in live TV, there's always like three seconds off air and we still have all the stuff that we've got to get through. And you do. And it's just the collective sigh from the people mm-hmm. around you when it happens and when it happens and it's a beautiful moment and the energy is there. I've jumped out of a plane. I've skydived. I've done all these various things. I camp. I snowboard. I've still never felt anything quite like that experience I completely of a agree. live show. Yeah. There's something special about a live show. I also think that when people talk about live shows, people often say, oh, what I like about live shows is that it's like that there's a stress. And I said, I don't think it's a stress. I think that live shows have a pressure. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, because stress to me is unhealthy. Stress is not a good thing. We don't like stress. Nobody likes stress. No. But pressure, pressure is a good thing. Pressure is the opportunity and oftentimes the challenge to rise to an occasion to really hit a situation and just knock it out of the park. Right. And I think that's what's both the adrenaline shot and the addicting part of a live show is that it's that pressure. It's how do we make this work? How are we going to get through this? How are we going to problem solve all of these things kind of coming together, but in a way that is a extremely fluid, creative team working environment that is unlike anything you often see anywhere else. Right. 
I could not agree more. I mean, I think you said that perfectly. That's exactly what that is. It's a pressure that makes you rise above. You become better than what you thought you could be. And you do it in a team environment. And it's just this beautiful thing where you're like, we couldn't have planned that if we had tried for a month. This is when we shine. Yeah. So we talk about shining. Tell me now, let's flip to the other side. Inevitably, like in any job, there are challenges that come with it too. What are some of the kind of challenges and the harder parts about what you do in your job now? Um, that's a great question. There are so many highs, but there are, you know, I wouldn't even call them lows, just challenges. I think that's the best, right. the best way to phrase that. Um, I think for me in what I do specifically, because I do, I work with the rundown, which is the timing of the show. It includes almost every department. I work on the schedule, which is the schedule of the entire production, whether that's the ENG crews who are on the road or wardrobe needing time to, you know, size people up or audio Everyone's involved and needs time on the schedule. So for me, I think one of the biggest challenges that I face is you can only do so much in a 12-hour day. Mm -hmm. And trying to meet everyone's needs, even if it's just the minimum needs on such a big production like American Idol or Dancing with the Stars, is very difficult. So trying to compromise and work with so many different departments to make sure everyone feels heard and like they've come out feeling like they have enough time or space to do or have said what they need to say. So I think for me, that's probably overall just encompassing everything I do. My biggest challenge is the biggest challenge is there's just not enough hours in the day. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I've tried asking for overtime and sometimes I'll get it approved, you know, but again, that's such a big budget thing that that then creates issues for other people. And again, not making certain people happy. So I think, yeah, just trying to make sure everyone feels that they can do what they do and to be able to do it as best they can with the circumstances given 12-hour days, two-hour show, which is really an hour, 24 minutes and some seconds, you know, that is my biggest challenge in what I do overall. Yeah. And it's hard to keep everybody happy, especially when things are changing all the time and there's surprise curveballs at the last minute and all of this, right? In, in your experience with working on these type of productions, what do you think makes the production a success when you are dealing with all these crazy elements? What is the secret sauce that you've noticed most often time and time again? That's what makes it successful. Two words. Kindness and understanding. Um, If you want to throw a third, compromise. But Mm. kindness and understanding, I have found time and time and time again, is the key and the glue that holds shows together. And I feel, maybe not to everyone in the audience, but I feel it comes across through the TV. If a show is not copacetic and, and not working well together behind the scenes, I do feel it comes through a bit. Through the TV and what you're seeing, whether the audience realizes it or not. I mean, you know, I think for us, we're a little more sensitive to it. I know if someone's holding a full drink of water and 20 minutes later, it's full and they've already drank all of it and somehow magically is full again. You know, I notice that I'm a little more sensitive right. to yeah. those. We, things. we notice that more because we're. Useless. Yes. Right. But I feel on every show I've worked with where, say, Joe Schmo needs three hours to do something and. Jane Doe needs three hours also. I can't give them both the entire morning. 
And if they both go into it understanding that they both have needs, but the other person also has needs and can find a way to either simultaneously work, compromise, do it a different day, just talking to each other like a coworker. You know, I think just basic kindnesses, I think, and, and obviously anything above just makes it a joy to work on. It makes it a place where people feel free to be creative. And I think that's when you get your best work is when there is that freedom to be vulnerable, to share your thoughts that might be dumb or you might not, it might not work. Like I've said so many dumb things in meetings, but in my head at the time, I was like, oh, this could work. And then they're like, no, but it's always responded to in a nice way. Like, oh, that's a great idea. However, it wouldn't work because X, Y, and Z you know, creates a safe space, a fun space. And I think that's when the best ideas come out. Yeah. Those, those kind of principles. It reminds me of, uh, uh, when Conan O'Brien did his last show for the tonight show, one of the very last he said when he, when he was signing off in that last episode is he said, if you work hard and you're kind, amazing things will happen. Mm. It's, it's such a like simple thing, right? It's such it a is. simple phrase. And like your answer is at its root, a very simple answer, right? It's like, you're saying the kindness, understanding compromise, right? But at the end of the day, it makes such a difference. And I think part of that is because you and I have both been in positions where we've seen shows where those are harder traits to find. And so when yeah. you do find a show where they're present, it makes all the difference. And that is what makes a production a success, yeah. right? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Because again, I think ultimately everyone wants to put on the best show they can for the audience. Mm -hmm. And I think when you give people that freedom and that space to throw out ideas, be a good idea, bad idea, and helping other people. Like I've seen producers help other people in different departments that they have no business even being over by, but because they were walking by and heard someone needing something or having questions, they went over, even though they were busy. Yeah. And that little bit of help there then ripples. The ripples seem small when you do the small thing, but it's such a great big pond that we work in, right? And I think that, and this seems a little silly to say it this way, but that one small good deed becomes a much bigger good deed that then quickly mm -hmm. can be utilized amongst the entire production. Yeah, absolutely. And this all goes back to what you said earlier, right? It's the teamwork aspect it as is. well. Surrounding yourselves with good people and finding good crews and people that know what they're doing and are professional and you know. Yeah, I mean, it can a job is a job is a job, but if you love what you're doing, it shows. Oh God, I love what you just said. If you love what you're doing, it shows because <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, like you and I have worked together, and the amount of joy that is on your face during days, even hard days, long days, like. The joy that's on your face, and you could be so tired, and I could be so tired, but we see each other, and we're like, hey, you're doing so We're great. laughing. We're having a good time. That <laughs> energy makes such a big difference. It's those small interactions. It's the one comment at craft services when you see the camera guy you haven't seen in a week, and they compliment your shoes. You're like, thank you. I thought about those shoes this morning. Yeah. You know, and it's those little things that <laughs> no matter how tired you are, no matter how frustrated you are, you love what you're doing ultimately, and you're happy to be there and happy to work through those things. Be around people that are also in that mm -hmm. same boat. What was your favorite production that you've ever worked on, and why was it working on The Four with me? <laughs> great question. Um, great phrasing. <laughs> um, working with you was my favorite part. Just seeing your face and your smile and your Hawaiian shirts coming at me on set or on the lot. <laughs> Could not ask for a better moment of any day. 
while working. So thank you for all the joy you brought me. Oh, stop it. My second favorite moment <laughs> was, so DJ Khaled liked props and he had candles that he would light and then he moved up to air horns and he had them all spray painted gold. Well, one day he got really excited and he really liked someone who was performing. And I don't remember who it was, but he had lit the candle and then he sprayed the air horn over the candle. And none of us, I guess, had thought about the reaction that would come from those two items being used simultaneously. <laughs> oh, no. I assure you the fire marshal thought of it. I'm sure he did. And somehow... <laughs> but no, no one talked to him. No one brought this up with the fire marshal. We got candles approved. We might separately have gotten air horns approved if we did. Maybe not at the same time. Definitely not at the same time. Um, I'm so happy they kept this in because, again, it wasn't live. Oh, it's but so good. all of a sudden, so you see him blow the air horn and a flame just goes down. And you see his face. And you see Diddy's face. And you see for, I mean, everybody was like, did he just like on fire and everyone in the control room gets silent and then the eruption of laughter because it quickly went out it was just like yes yeah oh there was not for me i don't think a better moment with talent that i've ever experienced now wait okay so now what i really want to know is, so i don't know if we've ever compared notes on this story so this is actually kind of amazing oh great you let's hear your side I was behind the stage because I was the contestant manager on yes, the Yes, you were. So I was in the wings with the contestants waiting to get the next one on and the one that was just on stage off and, you know, all that was happening there. But you, correct me if I'm wrong, you were in the booth, right? Yes. Which is basically you surrounded by executive producers, directors, and people from Fox that are actually watching this in real time, right? Yes. Giving notes, giving updates, changing copy. Yeah, they're all in there at the same time. And so what was their reaction as soon as this happened? You see this huge flame just blow out from DJ Khaled's air horn. What was happening in the booth? Silence. Everybody in unison initially just went silent. And then about two-thirds started laughing because just as quickly as it lit, it went out and he seemed fine. I'd say a third probably started panicking, thinking we were going to go off air. <laughs> DJ Khaled, you know, one of our main talent had lit themselves on fire. Right. We were never going to be able to make this show again. Our job's flashing before our eyes. Yes, all of us. <laughs> everyone getting a little sweaty for a few minutes until we realized it was fine. And it was a wonderful moment for the internet. And we're still thankful to this day that the fire marshal had a sense of humor in that moment. Uh, yes, because it could are. have been very Thank serious, but luckily no one got hurt. and Everything was fine. And that was the last day we ever saw a candle on the set of the four. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a true story because yes. literally, I think it was the next <gasps> day. One of our contestant PAs that was in my department mm. had a birthday. And when we did birthdays, we went big on the birthdays. We had birthday Amazing. cakes and candles. Yeah, candles. And we lit the candles. Then we all went on stage and we sang happy birthday. And <laughs> I remember this because it was like a day or two after the incident. And we went on stage and we're like, oh, it's so-and-so's birthday. And they're like, you can do whatever you want. But you cannot light a candle on this stage. We have lost that privilege. The fire marshal will find you on the spot. It's not happening. That poor fire marshal. He got his money's worth. Yes. 100%. Yeah. More so than most shows I worked on. 
But this is also part of the excitement. Like, yes. to your point, like, this show was not live, but it was still completely unpredictable. Oh my and goodness. it was essentially shot like it was live, yes. right? Yes. So, like, for all intents and purposes, this was basically almost live to tape. Live to tape, uh, yep. They would cut things here and there, but for the most part, it was. So it was incredible to see that and, like, how every week those variables were changing and how we yes. were pushing the boundaries of, like, can we put more people in here or is that too many? And, like, all those things that would happen, right? And, like, yes. at the end of the day, all the rules were ultimately followed. But every once in a while, there was an exception to the rule that came up that took us by surprise because yeah. that's what happens. And for what it's worth, that's why fire marshals exist. Yes, that is. That is. They are, they are doing a wonderful job. <laughs> they do a great job. We're very thankful for our fire marshals. I'm going to get close yeah. to the mic and thank all yes, of them. Yes, it's very, very Keeping true. us safe. So coming off of that, which may sound crazy, I have one of my absolute favorite questions that I ask everybody, which is, what is the most Hollywood thing that you have experienced in your career? Okay. So I don't really get starstruck for everyone, but one for me is Kristen Bell. Mm. K-Bell herself. I love that woman. I've worked with her. We worked on Encore together. She's a dream. I know you did. Uh. I know you did, and you told me, and it makes me so... I've never heard a bad word about her from oh, anyone who's yeah. worked with her. A dream. I don't think I ever will or anyone ever will. Yeah. So I worked on a show with her husband, Dax Shepard. Oh, who yes. Who also equally pleasant. And I, I worked. I was working on the script, so he and I worked together closely. I'd show him scripts. He'd give me changes. Lovely. Like, they're perfect. They're wonderful. Yeah. They're a great couple. Yeah. They, oh, gosh, they are. So I was working with him. And one of the stage managers, I'll give him a shout out because I love him, Valdez, we were friends, we'd worked together, knew how much I loved Kristen Bell. And we were on the NBC Universal lot. I think it was third or fourth season of The Good Place that she was filming at the time. Oh, yeah, sure. And she happened to be on set shooting that while we were right across from this little pond in the new sound stages. Yes. And she came over for lunch. Well, Valdez has worked with both Dax and Kristen Bell for a very long time. So he knows them both very, very well. Right. So he thought it would be really fun to surprise me in meeting her. Oh my God. But didn't tell me. <gasps> so one thing, if you've worked with me, you'll know about me is when I'm in work mode, I am in work mode. This is Nothing else matters. I've like, seen this. Yes. 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 I'm on headset. We're rehearsing. Dax is on stage. <laughs> I'm making notes. I'm giving notes. I'm talking to prompter. I'm listening to producers. I'm listening to Dax because he'll just say notes and I can hear him. And so, so all these things I'm paying attention to. And all of a sudden Valdez, the stage manager is like on headset. Asa, we need you to come stage right away. We need you to come stage right away. And I just been giving you notes. So not only am I panicked that I have to run to stage, which never happened like right. that. I also don't know exactly where we are in the script because we had just stopped down and I was giving a note. So I grabbed my gigantic two and a half, three oh inch binder gosh. and I'm flipping pages trying to figure out where we're going as I'm running to stage. And I run to Valdez, who's by Dax. And I'm like, Valdez, where are we at? Right? Panic. Trying to act cool though. So like, no one knows I'm panicking, but just like, oh my gosh, I have no idea where we're at. And they just, so anyway, get out there. And Vasca <laughs> Valdez goes, put your binder down. I want to bring you over here really quick. And I need to talk to you about something. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in so much trouble. Right <laughs> so now I'm like in a tizzy thinking now, I've done something yeah, wrong. Because right. I'm being taken to the side. Which this doesn't happen, right? This is unusual. No, yeah. this does not happen. <laughs> and he brings me over. And I did not put my binder out. I'm still holding my binder. And I'm just like looking at him. And he takes me over and he goes, this is Kristen. And I look at her and there's no recognition. 
because I'm in a panic. And I go, nice to meet you, Kristen. And I look back and I said, so Valdez, what do you want to talk about? Mm -hmm. I can't make it up, Kyle. I still have PTSD from this moment in my life. And he goes, no, Asa, this (laughs) is Kristen Bell. And he's slowly panning, like moving his arm toward Kristen. I am still holding the binder and I slowly start turning back toward Kristen Bell and realize in shock that I just pretty much blew Kristen off and didn't recognize her and and was in panic. And then he kindly started taking the binder from my hand so I could have a normal conversation with her. My hair, because I ripped my headset off, is probably just a mess. And I look back and I said, I don't even know what I said. It was something along the lines of, I'm so sorry. It's very nice to meet you. But again, I'm still in work mode. I'm in panic mode. So I'm not like being a normal human right now. And she looks afraid. (laughs) (laughs) Who have you brought me to meet and why? Yes, yes, exactly. And she's there with their oldest daughter, right? Who's, I don't know how old at the time, six, seven. And she kindly starts trying to talk to me. And I'm like, "Uh uh uh-huh, again, still just thinking what I've done wrong. Not realizing the whole thing was to meet Kristen Bell and surprise me. Yeah. And so finally I catch on and I calm down and I say a few words to her, but then her daughter starts talking to me. So I completely ignore Kristen Bell at this point and just start talking to their daughter, Lincoln. And now I'm only talking to their daughter, Lincoln, about daddy's show and what we do here. And then so Kristen's kind of like fumbling in her purse and looking at Valdez. And he finally is like, okay, well, that was lovely. Um, Asa, let's get back to it. He walks her off. She's like, very nice to meet you. She came around to go meet Dax. I hugged her. She wasn't coming for a hug, Kyle. (laughs) She was going around me. And I hugged her. (laughs) And she goes... Just gently pats you on the back. She pats me gently. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. And walks over to Dax. So Kristen Bell, if you ever hear this, I'm so sorry. I am such a big fan and I was so excited after the incident, but also mortified and still to this day. That's amazing. I can match that story. Oh, I'd love to hear that. Do you want to hear my mortifying celebrity experience? I absolutely do. Make me feel better about myself. (laughs) (laughs) To make you feel better? Because I'm like you. I kind of pride myself in being professional around mm-hmm. celebrities, right? Like this is our job. And yes. you know, the, the biggest secret when working with celebrities is you treat them just like everyone else, right? Yep. And nine times out of 10, that's all they want. There's the occasional one that wants the green Skittles, but like really nine times out of 10, they mm-hmm. just want to be treated like everybody else. And like, and I feel like I have a very good rapport with celebrities and when I meet them and all these kind of things, right? This was not a work event, but there was an event that was being held up in Santa Barbara where Anderson Cooper and Andy Cohen did this kind of like thing on stage together. They toured around the country and they just talked about their lives and their wonderful careers and the whole nine. And anybody that knows me knows that I love Anderson Cooper. I have always enjoyed Anderson Cooper. I think he's absolutely sensational. I first came to love Anderson Cooper on The Mole, which, if you remember, The Mole was arguably one of the greatest shows that's ever been on television. He was the original host. No one remembers this. And then shortly thereafter, he went to CNN and became the illustrious superhuman at CNN. And so since then, obviously been a huge fan of his career. And so they had this night and when they were selling tickets for the event, they were also selling meet and greet tickets. And naturally it was like, well, this is an opportunity that you don't get very often. And like, I don't really work in news. So like, when else am I going to meet Anderson Cooper? Right? Like this seems like the right move. So 
I went by myself because it was a weekend that most of my friends were out of town, but I was like, I'm going to do a date night with myself Good for you. and I'm going to go up and I'm going to meet Anderson Cooper and it's going to be awesome. And so they do the show. It's phenomenal. It's really funny. They tell enlightening and enriching stories. And then we go, the, those of us that have the VIP, you know, meet and greet tickets, and we go to line up for the meet and greet. And you can tell by this point they've been on tour for a while. So they have it down to a system. And the system is Anderson Cooper greets whoever the first guest is in the line. And they exchange a few words. He says, why don't we take a picture? Anderson kind of puts them in between Andy and Anderson. They take the photo. So it's the three of you in a picture. And then Andy says, it's so great to meet you. It's not just a photo op. It's literally a meet and greet, right? So you can tell they really put some time into this. And so I'm standing in the line and like, you know, a little bit of the Hollywood ego where I'm like, well, I've met plenty of celebrities before. I can shoot the shit with anybody. I've met all sorts of A-listers, so this will be easy. We're going to be best friends in five minutes. It's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And while I'm standing in line, I'm having this thought of like, well, what should I talk about? And what I wanted to talk about was that probably a little over a year prior to this night, there was a incident that had happened in a town right next to my hometown in South Milwaukee, Wisconsin. There was a shooting at a Sikh temple. It was one of the biggest shootings that they've ever seen in the state of Wisconsin. And there was a huge reaction around the country. Um, but unfortunately, because this was one of many of these type of shootings that had happened around that time, it didn't get as much media attention as a lot of other stories did. With the exception of CNN, CNN had sent Anderson Cooper to what was essentially my hometown where I grew up and was born and raised to stay for a week and do highlights on the heroes that helped save people and all these incredibly touching things. And so I had it in my head that I was going to go up to Anderson Cooper and I was going to say, sir, I have been a fan of your career since the mole. And when you came to my hometown during one of our darkest times and put a spotlight on those heroes, like it meant the world to us. Like on behalf of the state of Wisconsin, thank you, Anderson. Like, yes. I had the script. I was going to say, it's right? a great thing and, to say. All and that. it's a great, and it is so a genuine good. and like, you yes. know, right? And so then it becomes my turn. And Anderson turns to me. And much like you and Kristen Bell, I just completely blanked. And I forgot every single thing except for one detail. So Anderson puts out his hand and he says, hi, how are you? And I said, oh, I'm great. Nice to meet you. He says, what's your name? I said, my name's Kyle. He says, oh, that's great. I said, I'm from Wisconsin. And he goes, oh, that's wonderful. Now, remember, that's kind of part of the script. We can yep. still salvage this. Yeah, you could go from there. You could, you could pull it back. But we didn't pull it back. What happened? Instead, I said... Where they make cheese. <laughs> Sorry. Which, which, no, it's fine. You can, you can, we can all laugh about it now. Uh, and I said, where, where, we, where, where they make cheese. And Anderson looks at me probably very similarly to how Kristen looked at you oh, when I you think, went in yeah. for the hug. <laughs> where it was this, oh, that's cute. Right? And, yeah. and, and looks at me and goes, Yes, I've been to Wisconsin. Again, Kyle, here's a moment where you can save it and turn it around. And I, in that moment, did not. And I said, because this was where my brain went, what, what's your favorite kind of cheese, Anderson? And Anderson 
<laughs> now the look on Anderson's face has gone from cute to concerned. And Anderson goes, hmm, well, if I had to think about it, I guess I would say Pepper Jack. <laughs> okay. And he goes, what's your favorite cheese? And I said, my favorite cheese is cheddar. <laughs> and then he turns to Andy Cohen and he says, Andy. And now he's talking as if he's introducing his special friend, if you know what I mean. And he's like, Andy, this is Kyle. And he's from Wisconsin and likes cheddar cheese. And Andy, without missing a beat, is like, I love me some mozzarella. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love this so much more. I mean, what you were going to say was great, but I love this so much more. <laughs> and I'm just, there. what's coming out of my mouth is not what's happening in my internal dialogue. It's like inside out where like the characters oh, inside gosh, are like having yeah. a panic attack. Mm -hmm. And inside, I'm losing my mind mm -hmm. being like, this is mortifying. Just I'm in front screaming. of an Emmy and Peabody award winning journalist. And I'm talking about freaking cheese. <laughs> And we take the picture, and Andy's like, well, thanks, Kyle from Wisconsin. We'll be thinking of you, and we have cheese curds. <laughs> and I just walked away, and I have never felt so stupid. I bet that whole and, home and it's the rough. only time. Outside of that, I genuinely feel like my celebrity interactions have been lovely. But I must say, Anderson, if you're listening, I'm sorry. And thank you for all you did for our hometown. And maybe one day we'll have some cheese curds together. But oh, my God. <laughs> So you're yeah. not alone. I think we all have to have one, right, we to get do. it out of our system. Yeah. I hope <laughs> I never get remotely close to making that same mistake, as I'm sure you, you know what your story kind of reminded yeah. me of? A Christmas story mm. when he oh, really sure. wants a Red Rider BB gun. He finally gets to sit on Santa's lap at the mall, and he says <laughs> a football or something like that, or a yeah, bike. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a football. And he starts going right. down the slide and stops himself. And he's... <laughs> turns around and yells back up what he really wanted the red rider bb gun with the you know exactly. the sight on it yeah i feel like that was both of us except we never grabbed the slide we just went down the slide <laughs> yeah. and kept spinning we just and went the... tumbling down the yeah. hill but now it makes for fun stories that it we can does. tell on podcasts it and does. for that we're better off for it so that's at least right anderson yeah. and Kristen call us and we'll have a, a, a lunch yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll be real people then <laughs> I want to turn now a little bit uh, before we get to our Hollywood hot seat to talk a little bit about some of the kind of realities of the industry besides mm. the chance that you may make a fool of yourself in front of <laughs> Kristen Bell or Anderson Cooper and talk to you about kind of your perspective on some of these things. I'm curious as a whole in this industry, how do you handle the pressure and the expectations that come with these high profile projects. You're doing a lot of shows. They are high profile. They are A-list celebrities. And oftentimes they are live. How do you keep that in check? There's the adrenaline we talked about earlier, which obviously is feeding you in a very positive way. But yes. there's also a pressure and an expectation and some things that can definitely mess with your head as well. How do you keep that in check? So this one's actually been difficult for me throughout my career, yeah. you know, the work-life mm -hmm. balance. And as you said, stress, which is a negative, and it is something that you don't want to feel. Pressure, fine. Stress, not fine. To an extent. Right. So this has been something for me that I've been working on in the decade I've been in the industry and, and working on different projects, high profile or not. And I put a lot of pressure on myself and other people have expectations for me as I have expectations for them. And so this has been something that I've had to work and focus a lot on. 
especially during COVID at one point, there were like 18 hour days where I just wouldn't stop. You know, I would accept a Zoom invite for 1.30 in the morning because in my head, if they were willing to do it, so should I. Even if I right. had started much earlier. There's a part of me that wants to please people, but just also, I just want to do a good job. I want mm. to do the best job that I can. And so for me, I've had to learn different techniques to help balancing out. And, and I like to exercise. What I do is weekly boxing. You know, mm. I have a trainer. Mm -hmm. I and see your Instagram stories oh. all the time. She's always posting her punching a, a bag or sometimes a person. Or a person, you know, it depends what's in front of me at the time and, and how I'm feeling. That for me, plus morning walks when I'm able to do them for me have been very grounding and a really good release because otherwise I could sit at my desk from the time I start to the time I end and forget to get up, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'd say just recognizing that you might have that problem, which a lot of us I know do. It's I'm not yeah. unique in this because it affects how you do your job. Mm -hmm. If you're too tired or jaded if you feel you're not being recognized or you're overworked or what have you. So just finding different outlets, mm -hmm. movie nights with friends, dinners, just stepping away, even if it's only to the couch, if I'm working from home or outside, if I'm at the studio for a coffee break or lunch for 30 minutes, you know, exercise, friends, food, sunlight, just things like that. Little bits here and there. Friends, food, and sunlight. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I'm going to write a book. You're right, though. You're absolutely right. I think the best thing is finding what works best for you. Recognizing when you are tensing up, when you are getting too overworked or overstressed and just stepping away. If only to get a glass of water, just stepping away and coming back and resetting. In the beginning when I would do that, I would feel like I was failing in some way. I would feel like I was letting someone down. Someone probably needed me in that five minutes. I needed right. to step outside. And yeah. you never want to feel like the person that people are waiting for. I said it from literally my first week being in the industry. We make TV. My whole job mm. is to make people at home smile and mm -hmm. laugh and forget about their pressures and their tensions. So I'm not helping get anyone out of prison or doing brain surgery. So for me, remembering that grounds me. I mean, we have millions of dollars that we are working with mm -hmm. and networks account for every single penny as our producers and line producers and you know you yep. guys uh, in what you do you know every penny is important and so some people yep. get really caught up in that myself included at times and to remember that the whole purpose of what that money is for is to make people happy if you can remember that you can go a little easier on yourself that's beautiful has there ever been a time when you are kind of putting yourself first and prioritizing your own mental health where you've had to make a decision to say I can't take this gig right now. I need a break. That happened to me last summer. So this is my second summer in a row. I have been fortunate enough, and I'm very grateful that the opportunities have come up where I could do this. I've taken two summers in a row off now, completely off. American Idol and Dancing with the Stars bookend my year for me. So I go right. from like mid-August until the end of May with both of those shows. And then I have June, July, and part of August off. So... I had a health scare a couple of years ago. Everything ended up being totally fine, but I realized a big part of what probably contributed to it was stress and, and yeah. overworking, not taking care of myself first as much as I should have. Mm -hmm. And so last summer I decided I was going to book all these trips. I was going to go to Italy with the girls. I was going to go to Sweden with my boyfriend. I was going to go visit family. And I did. Wasn't necessarily a break, but it was still not working. It was vacation. It was exciting. Right. Yes. I got calls to do 
big shows, small shows, exciting shows. I had opportunities to work, make money. And as freelancers, you don't say no to jobs. You double dip. You'll triple dip if you can handle it. Like, yeah, you never know when the next call is going to come. And so right. you're always fortunate when it does. And you always want to say yes. And mm -hmm. I just had to say no. And I had to say no. And I always very apologetic, explaining what I'm doing. Call me for the next one, please. <laughs> please don't forget me. Yeah. And you know, there is that fear. Because there's so many good people in our industry and you don't want to be that person who said no when you could have said yes. Yeah. So I had to take that chance. And last summer I said no to some jobs. And this summer again, even being home, I said no to a couple jobs where I could have done it, but I made that promise to myself and I said no. And it, again, best thing I could have done. Yeah. That pays dividends down the road, right? Like you will see the effects of that when you go back into Idol and Dancing with the Stars, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I can put more energy into it. I'm excited to get back into the studio. I'm excited to be having these conversations again. I got to see my family and friends who maybe I've had to put on the back burner when I don't have two days off in a row or I'm working at different odd hours from where people on the East Coast live. And that I think has benefited me greatly. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you have to put yourself first or else you will go crazy, especially in a town where we're all already a little bit crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so now... We talk about all these productions that you've worked on, but now what I'm really curious to know is what is a production that you really want to work on that you haven't worked on yet? What's on the dream list of things that Asa wants to do in the future? So I'm very excited you asked me this question. So even though I work in reality and unscripted TV, I don't watch a lot of it. I watch mm -hmm. what I've always watched, scripted dramas, TV shows, movies, all of that. I love yeah. it. I love Top Chef. Oh, um, I love Padma and Padma, who I'm so sad. I'm so excited for Kristen Kish, but Padma's leaving Top Chef. <laughs> I would love, I would pay to work on Taste the Nation. <laughs> it's Padma, I'm going to plug it for her. It is Padma Lakshmi's new show. Uh -huh. And it is where she bridges the gap between cultures and politics Ooh. by using food and conversation. And if you have not seen it, it is wonderful, and she okay. is a diamond that should be put on a pedestal and just looked at and heard because everything she says is brilliant and funny and raw. I would be a PA right now, a decade into my <laughs> career, to work on that show, Kyle. <laughs> so if you know anyone working on Taste the Nation, I am available. I will make myself available. That's amazing. Okay, very good. That's a great answer. Mm -hmm. And I love to eat. And well, yeah, who doesn't? I've had the pleasure of working on one Food Network show, and it was called Fried, Grilled, and Chilled. So basically, we just traveled the country working <laughs> on shows where we ate the best foods in the country. Seems like a dream job. It was. It was a dream job. And the entire crew gained collectively like a 1,000 oh, pounds because- I we, hope there was a doctor we on were, staff traveling with you, checking blood pressure. <laughs> exactly. We were just all eating fried chicken and ice cream for months, but it was great. Ugh. We had the best time. Dreams. <laughs> If you could visit any set in L.A., what set would you visit? Mm, that is so difficult. I love asking this one because, like, my dream when I was a kid was just to, like, be able to roam any soundstage I wanted to. Okay. This is going to be a little left field. I'm kind of going around your question, but still answering it in a way. Okay. Okay. A Foley stage where people make sounds for movies and TV yep. shows. So, like, people walking, mouse steps, horse hooves. I have been fascinated by that Oh, for as long as I can remember. And my okay. dream has always been to just go watch an artist make the sounds. Like I YouTube oh. that 
like people YouTube kittens. Really? Yes. Oh, I love it. It's fascinating. Have you seen how they like come up with just everyday things? And Oh, it's incredible how they make sounds and noises to, to cover all these things. It's amazing. Those people are the real heroes, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll sit here and like... Start making her own noises. <laughs> yeah, trying to see what does that... Is that like a cowbell? Oh, I love that. Is that like, a, you know... So I think you can fill in the blank here for movie or TV with a Foley stage artist... I want to go to that set. It's a great And I just want to sit on a couch and watch what they do and how they do it. Sign me up. I'll be there too, because that sounds amazing. I think this is also something that I love about you, and I think it's harder to find this. Sometimes there are people that work in the industry, and there are people that love the industry. And like when I came out to L.A., I was really excited anytime I got to be on any set. And when I go to set now, I still feel the same way that 17, 18-year-old Kyle felt. And so a lot of people would hear what you just said and be like, whatever, they're fully artists. But I, <laughs> on the other hand, when you're saying this, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, how do we do? I want to call somebody and go sit there and listen and watch that because that right? is amazing and that is interesting. Yeah, I don't know how you feel about like concerts and stuff. But when I go to a concert, I love the music. I'm sure. really there for the lighting. I cannot oh, yeah. get enough of lights. Like on our shows, too, oh. like I work with Tom Sutherland and he is a light beam god. And what yes. he does is just incredible work. I mean, it's just as moving as what's being oh, yeah. shown on stage with the lighting. And the graphics, I think all the creative designers and directors and what they do, I just am so impressed by every single person and, and what they contribute and what yeah. they can come up with. I couldn't agree more. Like, think of a show that didn't have lighting or that didn't have sound or that didn't have screens or that didn't have mic packs or that didn't have craft services. What would we do? There would be an uproar. There would be an uproar. What if there wasn't a parking lot in attendance? What if there wasn't PAs to go get the paper when we need it? You know, I mean, the show just wouldn't go on. This so beautifully transitions to my last question for this act before we get into our Hollywood hot seat, which the question is, what are you convinced is the coolest job in Hollywood? And it sounds like your answer is Foley Artist, but is that the answer or is there something else? Oh, that's such a tough question. I know, because there's a lot of really cool jobs in yes, Hollywood. <laughs> there, I mean... Oh, that's so tough. So I would say director, just because they have so much control over what's seen, like the creative aspect, and, and yeah. they are really getting across. Everyone else can do this wonderful job, but if the director is not showing it the right way, it just doesn't come across. The third one for me would be wardrobe. Ooh, that's a good answer. I love wardrobe and, and time pieces, current pieces, like Dancing with the Stars. Oh. Shout out to that wardrobe department incredible i don't think it's there anymore but when i was on dancing the, it was headed by howard sussman who was a legend <gasps> howard yes i An love howard absolute legend howard is there kyle oh he's still there oh howard's there oh it's amazing shout out to howard shout out to howard hi howard love oh. you literally him and his entire team mm. just spend a week inside of a box like you said, taking cloth and taking bedazzler machines, yes. guns, whatever these things are, and they just bedazzle everything. Everything. <laughs> and every week it comes up. People think that you buy these things that they wear on Dance with the Stars. No, no. these are all custom, 100% custom. Blazers, and it's pants, incredible. dresses, everything. Shoes, Hat, the whole nine. I mean. Yeah. So our director, Phil, it is my favorite time of day when we hold the wardrobe up on stage for the cameras to see it, to see how it looks. Oh, how it looks with the lighting. Yep. Yeah. So 
Phil is very fun. And when Phil really likes a dress or a blazer, he will ask to bring, have it brought in the control room with us <laughs> to, to see it and inspect it closer to make sure the fabric is fine. And sometimes he may or may not put on the blazer or put the dress in front of him. And it is just such a fun time. But everyone is admiring these pieces. All good answers. All good answers. This is incredible. And this leads us so perfectly into our final act. I'm sure you've been dying to hear the questions. This is where we play our Hollywood hot seat. This is how we bring the podcast to an end. And it's 10 kind of rapid fire questions where I'm going to ask you a question and you give me the first thing that comes to mind. And let me tell you, these questions aren't always easy, but you know, whatever just comes out of your soul, that's what we want. Whatever that first gut instinct is. All right. So are you ready to play the Hollywood hot seat? This might be Kristen Bell moment all over again, but let's do it. Let's do it. Let's play the Hollywood hot seat. Let's do it. Hollywood hot seat. All right, here we go. Question number one. Favorite movie. Okay, most seen movie, and therefore I will say it's my favorite, is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. It's the third one. I've seen it. Oh, there we go. More times than I could tell you. I, it, I know every word. I don't even have to watch it anymore. I know what's being seen. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I love, I mean, the whole Harry Potter series for the, the love whole of God. Series. Like the, the perfect movies. Number two, favorite TV show. This one is extremely difficult. I will say just because I go back to it anytime I need a good laugh, and it's a newer one, Schitt's Creek. It oh. might not be my favorite of all time ever, but just off the cuff, Schitt's Creek is like my best friend. I can always go back and just let out big belly laughs and I love it so much. Talk about like the perfect cast for a show. Oh my, could not have done a better job. (laughs) Everything about that show is perfect. I agree. Number three, the fictional character that I identify most with is... It's going to be another Harry Potter reference or mining Granger. I bet it is. Because I'm so type A and so like... (laughs) can't be bothered with these fun things i need to be focused and moving but i let loose a little bit here and there and i like Uh to have a laugh i had a strong feeling you were going to say it even before we started this like uh, my gut was that you were going to say her i'm so glad uh (laughs) number four what tv show or film is your guilty pleasure Ooh, that's a great question um i mean kind of the two i've already named just because i've seen both of them so many times but if i had to pick one I would say probably The Office. So I've only seen it through once. I just saw it this last year and the year before for the first time ever, both the British and American versions. Yeah. And I could easily just turn it back on right now. So I'd probably say The Office. Okay. That's a good one. Or Seinfeld late at night. Ooh, also a good one. A sitcom girl. Okay. I am. I am. I love a good sitcom. Number five. What's your favorite movie quote? Oh, I was not prepared. Um, <laughs> so what anyone will tell you about me is I have a really bad memory. I have post-it notes everywhere for things <laughs> I need to know or remember. Like, I couldn't tell you people's names most of the time I've worked with that I just worked with. I couldn't oh, tell I, you movies totally or TV shows that. I just watched. Like, I really have to put a lot of thought into it. So asking me a quote would be like asking me what my second grade art teacher's name was. So I'm just going to... S- Another Harry Potter one because I know them so well. As you should. It's Levi Osa, not Levi Osa. Oh, it's perfect. That's so dumb. 
but I don't have anything better. Somebody put her at Warner Brothers I because just... she could fill in for her money. Thank you so much. Tomorrow. That's such a compliment, Kyle. But yeah, I mean, just because I've seen those, I know them forward and backward. Let's move on. What is your favorite go-to craft service snack? Ooh, easy. This one's easy. Dried mangoes. Any day, every day. Oh, wow. Oh, them. so confident with that answer, too. I've never wow. had them. Okay. A year, year and a half ago, and now I cannot get enough. It's a good Thank answer. Thank you. Who is your Hollywood crush hall pass? Simu Liu. Oh, also a good answer. Ooh, by the way. If you're listening, call us. I saw you at Disneyland a couple weeks ago. You walked right by me. <gasps> he did? Yeah, it was a big moment for me. My boyfriend tapped me and told me he was like, your hall pass is about to walk by. And I thought he was being <laughs> mean. And I was like, don't joke about those things. And uh, I turn around and sure enough, there's Simu. Who is a talent that you are dying to work with? Ooh, I'm just going to throw out one of the obvious ones, Kristen Bell, because I have not technically worked <laughs> with her. And I would like to redeem myself in so many ways. So <laughs> my answer is going to be, Kristen Bell, please let me work on a show that you are doing. I know you do reality Assuming shows Assuming you're sometimes. not like on the band list with Kristen Bell's production I team. might be. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Girl, don't let this I'm girl kidding. on set. Plays it too cool. If you could trade places with anybody for a day in the industry, who would you trade places with? Mm, a Foley artist. I had a feeling you might say that. Yeah, not even talent. I cannot be in front of the screen. I don't need lines. Just let me yeah. make some little mouse sounds. I love the idea of just sitting and watching a Foley artist one day. Just me too. Awesome. That sounds great. I agree. All right, last question. This is my favorite question to end it with. Okay. The best advice that you've got for working in Hollywood. What's the best advice you've ever received? <laughs> okay, so this is also going to sound corny. I've said a lot of corny things tonight, but just being yourself and never changing. Mm -hmm. Like, again, I was given that advice on the Arsenio Hall show by one of the cameramen. Every time I pass out pages, I'd ask people like what they did, how they started doing it, their favorite part about it. I, I would try to ask anyone questions that I could because I didn't know anything about anything. And I had asked one of the camera guys how I got started and stuff. And he went into telling me that the best advice was just be yourself. Don't let anything change you. Remember how excited you are now at this age on your first job and take that with you as you continue your career and mm -hmm. make that always kind of like your Northern star. Just always remember why you're doing it and who you are and you'll be fine. And so long winded way of saying, just trying to stay true to yourself and remembering why you're doing it. Yeah, that's perfect. And it's a wonderful note to end this podcast on Asa. This has been an absolute treat. Thank you for sitting down and telling us all about Kristen Bell and sharing <laughs> stories and everything in between. Oh, this has really been lovely and amazing time to learn a little bit about your world and your place in this industry. And we can't wait to do it again sometime. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. I loved hearing your stories. Anderson, if, if I ever work with him, I'll ask what his favorite cheese is. And we'll see if he sticks with the same answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll put him on the spot. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Thanks again, Asa. It's been a pleasure. Kyle on the Isle is an official podcast of Magicland Productions and is recorded in the heart of Hollywood, California. This episode was executive produced and directed by me, Kyle Olson. Produced by Natalie Izquierdo and Lauren Wilson. Editing by Cody Crabb. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and rate it five stars. Every single review goes a long way. <laughs>
And while you're at it, give us a follow on our social media channels at Kyle on the Isle. Thanks for listening. I'm Kyle Olson, and I'll be saving you a seat next time on the Isle. And cut. That's a wrap, folks. 